Accessing Priority Resource Archives. Compiling. FBI Declassified Documents. Yankee 1998. This is Defense Attorney William Kendall. I'm here with my client, FBI Special Agent Terry Collins. The statement you are about to hear was recorded on this day of November 4th, 1998 at the Rochester County Courthouse in New York State. Agent, would you please state your full name for the record? Terry Arthur Collins. Agent Collins, you are being asked to provide witness testimony to your findings on Navy Island. You will also provide answers to several follow-up questions regarding your assignment to said location and the paramilitary group that occupies it known as the Militia of Sovereign States or MOSS. I've been asked to remind you that these statements are to be reviewed separately or at a formal hearing by the Director of National Intelligence, the United States Subcommittee on Terrorism, and the Joint Chiefs of Staff. Do you understand and acknowledge these proceedings? Yes. I'm going to need you to affirm your understanding. Yes, I understand. Agent Collins, you were assigned to the Moss investigation team on February 12, 1997. Alexander Lavelle was the overseeing officer. What were your mission objectives, exactly? The Bureau suspected that Moss was recruiting young men and women for genetic experimentation, and that they were either creating or buying weapons of mass destruction on the black market. Did the FBI or any other agency provide you with specific information on the type of experiments that they suspected? According to the NSA data my team was shown, they believed that Moss was attempting to create soldiers with enhanced strength, better night vision, reduced need for sleep, super soldiers. <clears throat> the Bureau never used that term, but yeah, if you read between the lines, it was there. I see. And during your time on Navy Island, were you able to ascertain if super soldier experiments were being conducted? That's pretty damn vague, Mr. Kendall. Did you find evidence of Moss recruits with abnormal strength, visual acuity, or endurance? I'll tell ya. One of the first people I met, Oliver, or Oliver, I think he was Haitian, French-Canadian mix, black in his early 20s. He's part of the security team that guards Navy Island. A simple yes or no will suffice for now, Agent Collins, for brevity. They want my testimony, and I agreed to give it. I am not about to hand you off a list of sound bites that will get my ass crucified in front of the DNI. I tell the full story, or you will get exactly nothing more from me. Very well. Oliver, you were saying? Oliver was a watcher. That's the elite troops, if you will. 
watchers had special training, but I'll get to that later. I was there a week before I witnessed the fruits of that training for myself. Zachariah sent us out to cut firewood for the camp. Oliveira went with me. We gathered up as much as we could carry and brought it back to the chopping blocks to cut. And cut we did, me with my axe and... Well, Oliver didn't need one. He cut firewood with... With his bare hands. He smashed those logs in half like it was nothing. That was just Oliver. Some of the others on that island, the things they could do... No one's gonna believe me. If it's all the same, I'd like to hear it anyways. And so with the aforementioned parties, please continue. There was this little girl, probably ten years old. She was there with her mother and father, Nina. She'd been suffering chronic night terrors. Only whenever she woke in a panic, sinkholes would open nearby. Earthquakes destroyed the last three homes they lived in. So, they traveled all the way from Holland because they heard Zachariah could help her. Nina was out in the construction zone one day, near the island center. Uh, building crews are struggling with uh, grading the land. It's getting it nice and even for uh, foundation laying. They had difficulties getting construction equipment large enough across the water. So they didn't have a grader or a steamroller or any of the other stuff they needed. Up walks little Nina, right to the foreman. A few seconds later, everyone's ordered to clear the area. Nina stands back, too. Without waving her hand or wiggling her nose, the ground starts to ripple like a pond that a pebble was just tossed in. And moments later, the area is as smooth and level as a Macy's parking lot. That could be seismic waves, or... No one could explain that to me, Mr. Kendall. No one here, and certainly no one not there. Illegal subnet detected. Transmission capture. Audio only. Compiling. RL lag time negative 47.91.280.003. Adjusting for time dilation. Beginning playback. Greetings, fellow travelers. Marcus again. I have to risk a longer transmission today, so I hope you have somewhere comfortable and out of the sun to sit and hear this message. I've only been at the Remnant camp for a little under two days now, but already I am amazed how Harold and his crew managed to hold things together. They are an odd bunch, some more than others. We've got our hands full right now with the security lockdown and all. Before I mention that, however, I promised a recap of my talk with Zachariah. Perhaps I should start with telepathy and psychic abilities. Call it a beginner's course. Sensitivity to electromagnetic waves is a natural human ability from birth. It's one of the few abilities that are almost universal. However, thanks to the invention of the AC current, the radio, television, cell towers, and, and satellite proliferation. Most humans become overwhelmed by the sheer volume of input at a young age. Quickly, the human mind learns to mute this sense. Much like a child raised in a noisy home, maybe the parents listen to rock music all day. Loud noises no longer startle them. 
after a certain point. In a world saturated with electrical noise, in order to focus and learn to focus better, sensory deprivation is key. The Guthrie Mansion skiff served its function well. Stepping inside, closing the door, the effect was almost immediate. The island is as near a place can be to clear of all electrical noise. That place where I was born and spent most of my life. Leaving it, it's hard to explain the feeling. It, it wasn't immediate. The days accumulated for me away from home, the noise, if you will, became louder. The moment I shut that door, it was like someone turned the volume down to one. I pulled a large throw pillow out from underneath the plastic tarp on the cigar lounge's couch and took a seat cross-legged in the middle of the room. I closed my eyes in the dark room. Pitch black enveloped me. The place they entered, my mind space. It's different for every psychic. I call it the empty sky. It was the same thing my father used to call it. I didn't get to know him before he died. The empty sky, I like to imagine, is where I came to understand myself better. And hopefully one day, where I'll know him better too. Zachariah calls his mind space the easel. I focused on that image, willing it into the empty void with me. A modest wooden frame made of varnished cherry wood. Little brass trays holding a panoply of art supplies. Something was missing. The canvas. A hand touched my shoulder. An old, weather-worn face greeted my own. Zachariah was standing next to me, with his fading silver hair and his sun-damaged long coat. He reached into his coat and produced a three-by-four canvas and set it down on the easel, securing it with the brass fittings. Is this what you imagine I'd do with my free time, Marcus? Actually, I thought you'd be meditating with your healing crystals and tingsha bells right about now. Zack circled the easel calmly, but kept a fixed gaze on me. If only I were so blessed right now. Sir, first I'd like to apologize for leaving without the council's permission. Oh, it's not the council you should be apologizing to, or me. Your mother has been pacing circles ever since you left. She'll probably carve a hole right through the island with her feet before too long. I had to leave. Had to see my grandfather. No. It's all right. I always knew you would depart your homeland someday. Zack sat on a tall stool that suddenly materialized, then produced a painting palette and brush in the same manner and began to work on the canvas. The only thing I didn't know for certain was when you would go. He turned his head to face me for a moment. But you wouldn't have reached out to me like this to apologize. Would have done that in person. And I'm guessing you don't need bail money either. Something happened at the remnant camp. A few days before I arrived, Harold was attacked by something while he was manning the bait shop. Something, Zachariah said. It was human. At least it looked human. And it was identical to me. Like it was wearing my skin as a disguise. The REMS doctor took a look at it after their security team put it down. 
said I had all sorts of biomechanical parts, similar to human biology, but synthetic. And I had cybernetic blades hidden in the wrists. Zach's brow twitched. That is disturbing. And you say it attacked your grandfather, and then the security forces killed it? Yes, but that's not quite it. Harold gave him some kind of test first, asked him questions only I could answer. Hmm. I mean, yes, he put your father's amulet in its hand without warning that it was wrapped in Constantina wire. Zachariah's paint strokes became agitated and whip-like. Yes, he gave me the same test when I arrived, too. Zach set the palette and brush down and swiveled around on the stool to face me completely. This is important, Marcus. I need the order of events as they happened. As I understand it, it attacked Harold after he called out its lies. Or it may have interpreted the sharp necklace as an act of aggression, Zachariah said. I hadn't considered that. More and more I wanted to see this thing's body myself. There was something else. It had my voice and acted like me as well. Like a doppelganger. Fascinating, Zachariah said. A what? Ancient folklore from the old country. Doppelganger was a demonic creature that could assume the shape of its victims. Even exercise a bit of their personality, access their memories, that kind of thing. I doubt a mythical being would have need for cybernetic bits like this one. Android is the word you're looking for. The what doesn't really interest me much. Something like this has been within Gamma Company's reach for a decade at least. I wonder, what was it trying to accomplish? You think Gamma Company sent it to kill the Remnant? I don't know. That's the logical first guess, but it's not their style. Gamma is usually more direct. If they wanted Harold and his men dead, they could have used a drone strike, sent in one of their super soldiers. Now, if the Remnant posed a serious enough threat, if there were, say, an islander there before you, defending or projecting military power. I could see Gamma changing up its playbook then. How did Harold's men kill it in the first place? They cornered it at the store and shot it to bits with a light machine gun. Later, they said it was twitching and wouldn't stop, so they burned the body. Zachariah shook his head. Harold is a superstitious one. This is all unsettling, Zach. With technology like this, they could infiltrate Navy Island. They could already be on the island now. I thought about that. I'm going to call an emergency council meeting tonight. I assumed you would. And you want me to return home now, right? I would very much like that, as would your mother. However, I would also like to know why that creature was sent to your grandfather's camp. Zachariah stowed the artist's gear back into the void, then produced a plastic tarp from the same and wrapped the canvas in it. Wait, are you giving me a mission? Think of it as permission, a direction to go, if you decide to stay out a while longer. Isn't this something you give to the Watchers? You went through the training. Now you have your own Watcher necklace. Put it on. Find out what the hell is going on, then report back to me. 
the moment you learn something. Or don't. Give the necklace to your mother when you get back. There is no one on or off this island that can make you do anything. I won't hold it against you, whatever your decision. Okay, you are staying with the remnant for a while longer? Yes. I want to look into this. Harold was attacked and I... We still don't know who or why. I barely got here before things went sideways. Spend some time with your grandfather. Get to know his company, too. Could be important. Especially if there's more of those Dopplers sniffing around. You're better equipped to handle things like this than any of those militia boys. I'll look out for them while I'm here. If they let me. We didn't exactly get off on the right foot. You're an envoy for our people now, Marcus. We haven't had diplomatic relations with the Remnant in a very long time. Be mindful of that. I will. And thank you, Zachariah. I opened my eyes. Slowly, the cigar lounge came into focus. I stowed the pillow back on the couch, then opened the door to the skiff and headed back downstairs to my bunk. A loud banging sound came at the bunk doors at 4.30 a.m. sharp. Rebelly, rebelly, bitches, get up, rebelly! Screamed a young Asian woman from outside the door. Her voice began to trail off as she made her way down the hall. Rebelly, rebelly, coffee's brewing and the bacon is burning. Okay, I lied, no bacon, but I promise the coffee's burning. I slipped into my boots and entered the hallway. Someone was tearing down the hall, slamming a trash can lid with a big wooden spoon. She sprinted over to the door next to me. Ah, the watcher kid is awake. Good morning and welcome to hell. She banged the lid again. Could you please stop that? Sure thing. Hey, wait a minute. I didn't think you guys had to sleep. We don't. Hey, could you back up a little? Oh yeah, sorry. The apocalypse has shot my manners to pieces. My name is Mae Vickerson. Breakfast is in the kitchen. Want to see me naked? Breakfast? Wait, what? I said breakfast is in the kitchen. Can you make it? A large hand grabs Mae by the head and ruffles her hair. Wu laughs as she turns to swing on him with a wooden spoon. Master Chef Mae, you whip us up some powdered eggs. He turns to me and says, Don't let her haze you, Marcus. She likes to get under people's skin, especially the newbies. You fucked up my hair! A marked fashion improvement, I believe. Wu called over his shoulder as he walked away towards the dining room. Jessica yells from the top of the stairwell. None of that boot camp stuff, May. How many times we gotta have this discussion? And no cursing in the house either. You're our kitchen cleanup. Again. Yes, Mom. May whipped her head back to the dining room, then started after Wu. Big bro, don't drink all the coffee! You have had enough already. Harold opens the front door and walks into the foyer. He scowls deeply for a moment, then places his jacket on the coat rack before taking out a portable shortwave transmitter. Jessica meets him at the bottom of the stairwell, and he hands her a small clipboard. Then the two of them walk down the hall to me. Get any sleep? I'm rested, but uh, I think I may have just gotten my first headache. Welcome to my world, Sonny. May and Wu finished handing out watery-looking egg blobs and slightly less watered coffee. They took seats at the end of the table across from each other. Wu next to Harold and May next to me. Jessica sat on the other side of Harold. Kaplan stood in the corner tending to the coffee machine, brewing a new pot. Morning, squad. Good morning, sir, they all replied, except me. 
Alright, Jess and I have to bring a decision to this militia charter now. Jess, would you like to begin? Marcus, yesterday was a surprise to everybody, probably you too. It's been a while since Islanders parlayed with Remnant. So long, in fact, I wasn't even born when the last time occurred. A lot of our people weren't. That being said, I think your arrival here presents an opportunity, one that this charter should not overlook, or act on without weighing consequences. But before we can make a decision, we need to know what your intentions here are. Zachariah wishes to know, I wish to know, what that creature that attacked my grandfather was really after here. I want to investigate this thing further. I believe that it poses a threat to both the Stormcallers and the Remnant. He is petitioning the Island Council that I may be allowed to provide you with military assistance while I'm conducting my investigation here. That is my intention. What exactly did you mean by a decision? Marcus, you spoke with Zachariah and received his blessing to remain here, but Remnant do not answer to him or to your Island Council. Do you comprehend what I am saying? I think so. Let me clear this up a little bit. Because you're my kin, I cannot make a unilateral decision for this charter in this matter. I am recusing myself temporarily. The decision must fall to my executive officer and his line officers. That is Wu, May, Jessica, and Kaplan, respectively. And to be clear to my officers, your reasons for either yea or nay would be appreciated. He pounds the table with his hand, not with anger, but rather like a judge swinging his gavel. Will begins. The decision to allow Marcus to stay or ask him to leave is drawn to the line officers and myself. Raise your hand when you are ready to voice your opinion. Yay for approval and nay for disapproval. Who would like to... May's hand shot up. Yay! Jessica put a hand to her forehead and muttered something under her breath. Okay, May, state your reasons as General Moore requested. May looked baffled for a moment. Then she started waving a hand at me furiously. Look at this guy. What the hell are they feeding you on that island? Please start making sense today, said Jess. Fine. Well, besides the obvious, there's the other obvious. Marcus has an arm like an RPG. He did more damage throwing that gun than you could have firing every round in the tube. How's that for a reason? We have needed an edge on these mercs, marauders, and blue helmets for a long time. Wouldn't you know it, one just walks right into our little abode. I'm not one to look a gift horse in the mouth. Her expression changed, darker somehow. I only heard stories about what Gamma did before. Before your doll went up. Maybe you weren't around for all that. But something tells me you want a piece of them just as bad as any of us here. Maybe more. She looks back at Wu and raises her hand again. Her expression is stone this time. I say the next time those assholes come knocking, we let him loose and knock back. Yay. Well said. Who is next? Jessica raises her hand. I don't normally agree with May on anything, but in this, she isn't wrong. Marcus could be a strong deterrent for those forces encroaching on our territory. Unlike her, however, I don't expect you to just join our ranks. I know you have your own agenda. Right now, that seems to line up with ours. For diplomacy's sake, I will acknowledge that as a mutual goal. You can stay until your investigation is completed, so long as your being here does not further endanger the lives of this charter. Will you also share your findings with us? I nodded to her. Then I vote yay. Kaplan turned from the coffee maker. He raised his steaming mug in the air. You know, I was going to say no or nay, whatever. I'm not happy about Jess getting hurt or Stevens being bedridden for the next two months. The way I see it now, though, we had our first blue-on-blue -blue incident in ever. Friendly fire. And it would be real hypocritical if I said no. If you were my grandson, I'd break all kinds of rules to let you stay. 
I gotta go with my heart, LT, even if I'm proven wrong for it later. Kaplan turns his gaze on me. Don't make me regret it, he raises his free hand. Yay, Boo claps his hands. That is majority. Not so fast, Exo. You have to vote too. Those are the rules, Wu raises his hand. I was there when that thing attacked General Moore. He made fun of me all day for carrying around the M249. It's a heavy beast. Meant to be a joke. I told him I was getting my exercise in while on patrol. Overkill may have saved us that day. I cannot be sure. One thing I do know, it would be nice to have an unknown variable fighting by our side for a change. If there are more of these things, I would much rather Marcus be here. If only for a little while. Yay. Unanimous vote in this house. He pounded his empty mug on the table. Need a resupply, pronto. Remnant life was very structured. Every day started with Reveille, a light breakfast, morning prayer, then special duty assignments were handed out by Harold or Lieutenant Wu. Most of the remnant were Christian, or some variant of it. Kaplan was Roman Catholic. Jess, Harold, and Wu, Baptist. Stevens was Jewish, as was Baker. For the most part, the morning prayer consisted of a short sermon done over the encrypted local radio network. Someone would be assigned a spot by an alphabetical list consisting of the remnant's local charter. Usually the Bible or the Torah was read from, but not exclusively. Some of the remnant were of non-Abrahamic religions as well. May, for instance, was Buddhist. Everyone participated in the morning prayer when it was their turn. Bizarrely enough, so did the atheists. Their version of prayer was mostly life advice, positive affirmations, philosophy, poetry. Sometimes the Constitution was read from. A few times a week, Harold would also read from the Constitution, the Bill of Rights, the Federalist and Anti-Federalist Papers, writings by Thomas Jefferson, Samuel Adams, and others. Listening was not required, nor was prayer itself. Harold encourages men to do physical fitness, give early relief to night shift guards, or start their daily work early if they do not wish to participate. Kaplan listened to every sermon on his headset while doing his morning run, unless it was his turn to speak. After the sermon concluded, Wu handed out the day's special assignments via small clipboard with plastic index cards attached. He called the line officers one at a time, then handed them a card. Jess, hold down the armory. Kaplan, get your men off fixing the trucks. Potty mouth, kitchen duty, again. Ha ha ha, May laughed sarcastically. You can tell your squad they have you to thank for it, Jess chided her. One crew, one screw, May cried back as she stormed off to the kitchen. You want to make it three days? Did I hear you right? The kitchen door slammed shut. Three days it is. The beatings will continue until morale improves. Harold finally spoke. Marcus, I realize you must have your investigation to consider, but I wonder if I could ask you for assistance with something else before you set out. I'll help, as long as it's not something technical. I'm not very good with machines. Oh, I think you are qualified for this particular task. You must have noticed the big yellow bus near the intersection by the storefront? Yeah. The one I threw Stevens out of. I'm sorry about that. Again. I know. But hear me out. That intersection was blocked off intentionally. 
We put the bus there to prevent troop carriers and other vehicles from charging into the city center, past our defenses. Makes sense. We have a resupply coming from behind the spike fence in the eastern state border. General Teal and his men. The man has zero patience. That caravan will turn right back around if we don't open the barricade before it arrives. And his men are supposed to come tonight. Problem is, we used a forklift to move that bus in the first place. And the engine is dead. I think I see where this is going. You want me to be your forklift? I must admit the smallest degree of curiosity on my part for this request. Have you ever moved anything that heavy before? Never tried before, but pretty sure I can. How far do you want it moved? Not far. Just get it out of the road. Or push it over to one lane, whatever is easiest. We only need the one lane open. But I need to check on Puka first. Of course. Wu reached over to a row of radios on a wall-mounted charging station, then handed me one. I'll go with you, but I want you to take this so you can keep in touch with us later. If things get dicey, don't talk about island stuff or that clone freak on the radios. It's a secure channel, but that doesn't mean it's bulletproof. Understood. We set out for worms and bullets. Sergeant Baker greeted myself and Lieutenant Wu just before the intersection by Gramps' storefront. Baker had one of the garage doors open to the firehouse, just a block up the street. Wu had followed me to the intersection by the store. I crossed in front of the sun-bleached hulk, running my hand across it as we walked. I gave it a test push on the front bumper. The vehicle made a low, creaking groan and shuddered slightly. You may want to put it in neutral. Make it a bit easier. No, uh, flat tires, this gradient... Won't make a difference. Don't worry, LT, I can do this. All the problems I had encountered in the last week were starting to take a toll on me, mentally if nothing else. Everything was new. Zachariah and Forge weren't here for ready guidance. The remnants' political divide with the Stormcallers. Harold and Melissa battling over my custody when I was just a child. A new threat which could take on the appearance of myself and others, probably. May and her... Whatever that was this morning. It occurred to me that there were a great number of problems which could not be resolved with the application of force. Even the kind that I was capable of. I was glad for at least one problem that could be. When I was first learning to use my gift, Forge was my mentor. He called it harmonic channeling. A practitioner of this is called harmonic for short. I can draw energy from the earth into my body and turn that into kinetic force. People on the island have different opinions about the exact nature of that energy. Some think it's gravity or the Earth's rotation. Perhaps it is life itself. Channeling energy has three basic applications. Equalizing, pushing, or pulling. Equalizing an incoming force with my own, I can negate something's kinetic energy to zero with a touch. Pushing or pulling kinetic force from something is possible too. Masters of this ability can use the air around them to do this as well. My father, Jonah, his gift worked on a similar principle. He could push or pull electrons. That is called electrokinesis. Very few people have that ability, and even fewer live to master it. One mistake in its use can lead to instant death. A bit more on my training. Forge once told me that moving an object with a channeled force is less about you moving the object, but moving yourself. Objects do not have a soul, nor do they possess thoughts or feelings. 
Concepts of size, mass, and weight are human interpretations of raw sensory data seen through the lens of science. They mean nothing to a harmonic. We do not summon the Earth's power so much as it comes to us at the moment of a challenge in only the exact amount needed, nothing more and nothing less. Combat actually makes this process easier in a sense. Here with the bus, there was not the same urgency, not the same vital need. I reached under the hood and grabbed the bus hulk by the most sturdy bit I could reach without overextending myself. I have to ask, what is the deal with May? Wu grimaced. Ah, she catch your eye. I pulled up the hulk, and it creaked again, louder this time. Managed to lift it a few inches, then set it back down quickly. I exhaled loudly. She makes herself hard to miss. You must have women on the island, Wu responded. Not exactly what I was getting at. I meant no offense. I know. It's just the remnant have different cultural rules than us. Plus, I heard her calling you her brother, so... Each person in the remnant is their own sovereign. May is free to make her own choices. As am I. As are you. This is not a monastery, and we are not xenophobes. I didn't say I was interested. Yes, you did. This was important, even if the challenge did not instill an immediate sense of urgency. A lost supply run could translate into reduced food and ammo. It could be the difference in Harold's charter surviving their next skirmish with raiders or the UN. The bus form entered my mind like a blueprint. I could feel its composition. I raised it as high as my arms would allow. The front wheels were just above my head now. It felt weightless in my hands. All right, Mr. Forklift, at least your engine is working properly. Lieutenant Wu, myself, and Baker squad exited our respective off-road vehicles. Baker grabbed a Mossberg 500 shotgun from the back of his gator and formed a breaching team with his men on the door to the morgue. Is this really called for? I asked Wu. Someone cut the feed to the camera inside the morgue last night. Newbie was on the monitors, we just found out. Baker and his team rushed the door. In one fluid motion, the door was opened to the morgue, and all five members of the squad poured in. The signal for room clear came in over the radio a few seconds later. Could have sent me in alone, I ventured. There will be a time for that, I fear. For now, we handle the situations that we can ourselves. Come. The Black River Morgue was your typical small-town facility. Spartan and utilitarian with a hint of old-timey nostalgia. Fishing trophies and old newspapers dotted the walls. LT, we got a body here. It's not one of ours, Baker said. Blood was sprayed across the floors. It didn't look very old. What? I know. Maybe it's someone from Jackson Charter? Neil, check it for the tags, Baker said. The soldier carefully went through her pockets, then checked her neckline. A set of bloody dog tags was produced. Yeah, it's one of Jackson's. Liza Crenshaw. Someone cut her throat. I seen this before, working for Detroit PD. There's a lot of tearing. Probably used a serrated edge, Neil said. Wu popped out his radio. General Moore, there's a situation. Sierra Tango Alpha. Without waiting for response, Wu switched the channel on the radio. I don't get it. What the hell was she even doing in here? Baker asked. Not for us to know right now. Baker, take your guys and secure this place. Keep your eyes open for anything, especially incoming friendlies. Moore will have us all on the alternative channel now. Get your passphrases. Shoot anyone that approaches with the old one. Yes, sir. Baker fell out with his men. Woo, tell me this ain't what I think it is. Jackson Charter was poking around in the morgue. 
One of their people bit off more than they could chew. It appears one of those things slit her throat. What? Are you sure? Was it the same one? Wu pulled open one of the body storage lockers and rolled out the corpse tray. A mangled burnt husk of machine and meat lay motionless on the table. No, no, it's super dead. But the body has not been here for more than a few hours. The new body. Her wounds are consistent with a serrated weapon, according to Corporal Neal. General, there's something else. The lock was removed on the body storage unit we put it in. Someone opened this. Get our people out of there, now. Report to the armory. I'll meet you there. Baker and May squads were both at the top of the cellar at the Guthrie Estates guest home. Ten people took turns going downstairs and getting heavy weapons issued by Jessica. Harold was wearing a sophisticated-looking computer on his left arm. He fiddled with its display between barking orders to the men. Where the hell is all the armor-piercing 556? I'm missing at least four boxes of ammo, Jess screamed up to Harold. Harold just shook his head and went back to typing on the wrist computer. The display showed a localized aerial map of Michigan. Should we stagger our loadouts? Baker asked. There's no time. Just make your shots count, Wu replied. Jess, what is the problem? Stevens, he must have rearranged everything again. He does this crap every time. I'm gonna wring his damn neck. Forget it. Hand out the 50 cals. Give one to everyone that knows how to shoot them. Or the larger calibers, if we have ammo. Wu squeezed his way past the other militiamen to the armory window. Do you still have Anna down here? Wu inquired. Oh yeah, he's right here over the door, above my head. At least Stevens didn't move that one. I'd have to shoot him then. Give him to me. And two speed loaders. Oh, and the holster, the shoulder rig. Jess kicked over a stepping stool, then reached up and produced a massive revolver. The design on it was a full-body black-and-white American flag with the words, Come and take it, inlaid onto the barrel. Apologies, we only got enough for two loads, running short on 454 too. It is not for me, I'll take my Barrett, give the others the remaining semis. Bolt action it is. Wu slung the oversized rifle and came up the stairs towards me. I would feel a lot better if you had your own weapon, Marcus. I can manage fine with my bow, your men can make far better use. A gun is like a tunicate, you hope you will never need it, and pray to have one when you do. Wu handed me the revolver. Barrel carefully pointed down. Do you have any experience with firearms? A little. I know the basics. Point and squeeze, don't jerk the trigger, don't aim at friendlies. That will have to suffice for now. Hold out your arm straight for a minute. I'm going to fit you for this shoulder holster. He fastened the black leather rig with kydex straps. Try moving around. Get a feel for it. Practice drawing and holstering the weapon, without pointing the barrel at anyone. There's a speed loader in the pocket there. Jess called up from the armory. Don't lose my gun, island boy. That weapon has history. We have bigger problems right now, Harold said. He gestured Wu over to look at the screen on his arm, and I peered over their shoulders as he began to explain. This area here is northeastern Michigan airspace. That is the air defense grid right there. Western one's still up, still pinging from our satellite feed. Now look back here. I don't see anything. Exactly. That's Jackson Charter Territory. They usually send us radar data every 20 to 30 seconds. I just went through the logs, and we've got nothing for them for the last hour. Something just poked us in the eyes. And one of their people just shows up dead on our property. With that monster on the prowl. I don't like the coincidences piling up. Wait, I interrupted. What about the supply convo coming in from the east later? I could see the gears turning in Harold's mind. Something clicked. 
It's a coordinated assault. It has to be. Those robo-clones must be being used as some kind of agent saboteurs. They're cutting off our communications, blinding us, making us chase our tails. Wu nodded. Until their strike team is bearing down upon us. Could the convoy itself be the target? Can't know that for sure. We have no missiles, plus the Vulcan on the tank seized all held him back. Couldn't launch a rescue even if we wanted to. We have to prepare for an attack here. Maybe we're not the main target, but I don't want to get caught with our pants down. The doppelganger's still a major concern, Grandpa. If it is acting as a saboteur, it will be undermining any defenses we try to establish, I said. I'm dealing with the problems that I know how to deal with right now, Harold snapped. He put the computer on standby and lowered his arm, rubbed his shoulder. People, listen up. From now on, I want everyone to move in groups and no less than two-person teams. No one is to be alone. If you gotta piss, someone had better be there holding your dick. May barely stifled her laugh. Several others chuckled. I say something funny? I have to pee, May chimed in. The entire room burst into laughter. Harold allowed a slight smile, though his jaw remained tight. Okay, okay, probably could have worded that different. Wu came to the rescue. General is saying all this because there's an enemy in our land that can change its appearance. So we need to keep an eye on each other, and out for each other. I know how that sounds right now. A healthy bit of paranoia is in order. I expect to hear passphrases and callbacks whenever one squad moves by another. Until this Doppler is planted in the ground. That is how it must be. Everyone copy? Hooah! They all responded. Harold walked with me back to the guest foyer. I'm going to have the guys change up our visual markers so that Teal's men know to head for the secondary drop-off at the high school. There are two major problems. First, we don't have any anti-air weapons. If they come in with F-40s, we're all going to be sucking napalm by morning. Gunships we might be able to handle with some well-placed sniper rounds. Or, he points at me, but you can't track down that monster and defend against an airstrike at the same time. So we need to find that thing. And pronto, is there anything I can do to help you find it? If it's the same Doppler that killed that woman, it might be using her appearance as a disguise. Or one of the other JC crew. Is anyone here familiar with JC's men? Someone that could recognize them at a glance? Harold checked the sighting on his rifle. Yep, right in front of you. Looks like we get to finally spend some quality time together. We're still here waiting on the convoy. And it looks like we'll be waiting well into the morning. I'm ready. I hope. Everyone here is on edge. I guess I can't blame them. I haven't had any luck finding a resident imposter yet. I could sure use Puka's nose right about now. But he's not going to be well enough to walk on his own for a while. Grandpa is actually here with me as I'm recording. Do you want to say anything? Send lawyers guns and money. What? Just kidding. No lawyers. Transmission ends. Signal lost. You have been listening to The Fourth Tower, a cyberpunk-themed transmission from the possible future, sometime after now. 
If you'd like to support this podcast, please share it around wherever you do social media at. If you want to support the show, become a supporter on anchor.fm forward slash fourth tower. That's the number four, T-H-T-O-W-E-R. Or head over to the website, fourthtower.wordpress.com, and hit the donate tab at the bottom of the page. Thank you. Thank you.